three and oh since taking the court as a Phoenix Suns player. Booker up the right side finds Durant open for three left wing. That's all net for KD. He's got 33. Averaging 26 points, seven boards, 3.7 assists in those three games. Oh, and this was a nice chef's kiss to Luka and the Mavs in Dallas Sunday, wasn't it? Here's a bounce pass from Durant to Ish Wainwright. KD gets it back with seven to shoot. Penetrates with a left-hand dribble. Stops from 15 and knocks it down on the left side. What a big shot for KD to put the Suns up to. 128-126. Timeout Mavericks with 11 seconds left to go. Bickley and Murata talk KD's first home game with the Suns now. The energy we have from the second you walk into the gym until everybody leaves is just upbeat and energetic and makes you uh, very excited to come to work. It's Kevin Durant yesterday talking about the energy in the gym and practice. But, man, you want to talk about what the energy will be like tonight at mm-hmm. Footprint Center. Uh, we've seen a lot of electric crowds there over the last three basketball seasons, Bick. This should be uh, near or at the top of the list as Kevin Durant finally plays in front of the uh, home yeah. folks uh, for the first time a game you well, can hear on the Arizona Sports app at 98.7. 7 o'clock tip, 6.30 pregame. No doubt about it. Um, as we've discussed in the past, there have been certain times over the course of the Phoenix Suns history when they've had star power, when they've had really good teams and really entertaining teams, and we have seen the excitement that that brings to the Valley. Um, we have heard anecdotal stories from people. Uh, we, this this team is back to being what they were at the height of the Nash um, Marion Stoudemire uh, era. They back to, right. to to the way they were during the Barkley Marley era, where you where every sports bar in town is packed to the gills yes. when the Suns play games. Now it's a communal event. People want to be part of the excitement, and if they're not in the building, then they're out somewhere else with like minded Suns fans. That's a good, healthy sign uh, that not a. I'm not sure any of our other teams have it. Though, in fact, I'm quite certain none of our other teams have at the moment. So, uh, so this is. I think this is what this is. This is going to be now a, a new level to the book CP three era in terms of what the team means to the community, what it sounds like on game night inside that arena. Yep. And I think tonight is going to be the ch- a, a chance for those lucky enough to have tickets to flex to show Kevin Durant, hey, this is what we're going to provide you. We've seen what you're going to provide us, and we like it. Here's what we're going to give you. How many times in the wild in the last month have you been approached by somebody a friend a relative a random person and said oh my goodness what do you think about the kd trade what do you think about kevin durant how about the sun are you talking on a safari what do you mean by in the wild <laughs> well, not not at the station specifically you know what i mean just out like and out, in the world. out and about in the world or at home you know a it, lot is my answer yeah. yeah i don't have an exact number but it, it happens a lot I don't because think you know I'm a, a man like about that. I'm a man about town, Jared. So it happens. Well, sure, it's true. Yeah, he's got to go find his Oreos. <laughs> Still haven't found them. By the way. I haven't looked very hard. Um, we talked a little is bit. Is it the level with me where where I can tell? I can tell, and this is just very personal to me. I can tell when a sports ta- team or a ta- um, a story has got everyone's attention. If I'm in the gym. And dudes roll up to me, and they're talking to me, and I can see their mouths move, even though I'm in the midst of cardio with earphones <laughs> in. Their compulsion to want to talk to me about that particular story yes. just blinds them to everything else. Yeah. And that's fine, because I understand what it is. I'm not trying to say, don't bother me. 
other yeah. than don't bother me. Yeah. <laughs> Although men ignoring the headphones at the gym is tail old as time. Take a hint. <laughs> <laughs> you know how I avoid that There's problem? There's no reason. Take a hint. But, don't but, go to the gym. Well, listen, and, so, and so that just happened to me very recently and very frequently where people are so excited about Kevin Durant, they just want to talk to somebody about it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And yeah. with you and with me and with people who you know are in this bubble the bubble? Bubble? Oh, the bubble. Bubble. People, they want to talk to us mm-hmm. because it's exciting. And, and that's what this is going to be. So, and we've said it before, we've never, ever in Phoenix, we've had a lot. We've seen a lot of stuff. We've seen a lot of bleep. We have. We've been through a lot of bleep. We've been through a lot of bleep. We never had two superstars at once on the on the same team in Phoenix, Arizona. That is true. Never had it. Uh, so the challenge, the excitement in Phoenix is met uh, or are matched with concern probably around the rest of the NBA. We played some cuts from Bill Simmons earlier from his podcast who says, hey, they have defense busters. Jay Williams from ESPN was on uh, his weekly visit with Wolf and Luke yesterday here on Arizona Sports and offered his opinion on how to stop the Suns. I mean, I would give them a variety of multiple coverages. I would, I would blitz them all, pin downs. I would force... I would force CP3 to be us. I mean, at the end of the day, if I'm going to clog the paint, I'm going to limit touches, I'm going to run double teams at them, I'm trying to get the ball in their hands. I, I have to make guys like Craig, guys, CP3, other guys beat us. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, um, I, I think that is going to be the, the – that's why I said CP3 is going to have to come through or DeAndre is got to come through in the stretch because if, if you are going to be able to catch these guys a couple of games or you limit them, um, the calling card will be there for CP3 to have some prolific offensive games. And he's going to need a couple. I'm not saying he's going to do it consistently. But there's going to be some times where you're going to need CP3 to put up 25, 30 points on top of 10 assists. And uh, that's going to be playoff basketball because they're going to take a lot of those looks from D-Brook and Kevin Durant away. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that on the prolific output that Chris Paul might need. I think he needs to hit open shots when they're presented to him, which he did late in that game against Dallas. But I, I, I mean... I think the days of having to rely on Chris Paul in any circumstance to score 25 or 30, those days are pretty much in the rear view. Do you agree? Yes. But he does have to make open shots. Yes, and yes. There is a reason why at the end of practice yesterday, Ish Wainwright was going through extensive corner three drills. Mm-hmm. Because he's going to be seeing a lot of open corner threes, and and they've got to, this basketball team has got to wrestle get that calculus down. Because if you're an opponent of the Phoenix Suns in the playoffs, you're not going to let Devin Booker and and or Kevin Durant just cook you, and that's what's going to happen. And, and so there there's going to be somebody open, and that open person is going to largely determine the fates of this basketball team. Yeah, it's going to be They're, a rotating group, by the way. Yeah, listen, it, it's it to me. This is what this is what's so fascinating about this. There, there was a time when the Suns were losing big and losing alarmingly that the laundry list of things they seemed to meet, need, there was it, you could go four or five deep on it. Uh-huh. And you're like, wow, how, how, how is this team two games away from winning a championship when we need this much stuff? You get a guy like KD, it all just goes away. Uh-huh. Uh, watching practice yesterday, here's, here's campaign um, who whose role on a basketball team was very fluid and, and very hard to define. We know that he creates chaos and attacks the rim and sometimes it's great and sometimes it's bad and sometimes he shoots out of games. Now he feeds the ball in the post and if it comes back to him, he's got to decide, do I shoot this ball or not? That's the extent 
of what campaign is going to have to do for this offense. Yeah. That's the extent of it. <laughs> There's no more having to create or going to 90 miles an hour. It's I'll throw the ball into the post to KD, and if it comes back to me and I'm wide open, I will decide whether or not to shoot it. That's it. That's how simple Kevin Durant makes it. It's easy. To steal a phrase from Kyler right. Murray, it's well, easy. It, it looks easy. <laughs> it when certainly you've got does. Two superstars. Yes, it does. Coming up next with the debut at Footprint Center of Kevin Durant tonight, a question arising: Is this the most highly anticipated Suns regular season home game ever? An argument can be made. We'll make it next. It's Pickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. If the Valley cheers like this for KD at his introductory press conference. Number 35 for the Phoenix Suns, Kevin Durant. Imagine how Footprint Center will sound tonight as Kevin Durant makes his debut. Everywhere I've been so far, fans have been, um, you know, giving me a warm welcome, but I still feel like I got to prove myself every day. Bickley and Murata talk KD's first home game with the Suns now. That's the Wednesday edition of Bickley and Murata Mornings, live from the Akchan Community Studios. Dan Bickley, Vince Murata, Jared Carlin, Sarah Cazell, taking it up until 10 o'clock as the hours count down until tip-off of Kevin Durant's uh, first game. Uh, and it kind of got me thinking, and I think it's our, our poll question on the uh, on the homepage at ArizonaSports.com right now, too. Uh, is this the most anticipated home game in Phoenix Suns history? There's been a ton of home games. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. I have to believe the first home game in 1968 was pretty highly anticipated. Although but but Phoenix, again, 1968, what was Phoenix, Arizona? Yeah, it was, it, it, it was, and I don't mean this as a disparaging remark, but the thought around the NBA outside of Phoenix is, what did the league do to expand to Phoenix? It wasn't, a, it wasn't viewed as a city big enough to support a major league team. Oh, is that true? No, oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, around I, the league, I, people, I had never heard people that. felt I that way. I had never way. heard that. Um, but, um, you know, that was uh, the first expansion team, the first professional team in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Anticipated. I, I, I'm guessing, I haven't looked it up, I'm guessing there was probably about 10,000 people in attendance. Okay. Um, this is near the top of the list, but I can't put it number one, Bic. What's number one? Charles Barkley's first game in as a Phoenix Sun on November 7th, 1992. Because what puts it over the top for me is that that was also the first home game in a brand new arena. All of those things yeah, kind of came together yeah, for Charles Barkley. Pre- yeah, that is pretty big. And it was months in the making, so the anticipation built and built. Not yeah. saying that this is not highly anticipated. I think it's number two on the list, and it's uh-huh. a close number two. But um, it, it's it's been... A month in the making as opposed to several months when the Suns well, got Barkley and we knew yes. all of these things were in motion. Yes. I, yes. I, I think there's a dramatic difference between all of them. I, I think the the arrival of Charles Barkley was, for, for, according to a lot of people who are here and you were here throughout all of this, he, he put the Suns on NBC. He put the Suns on the sporting map. Mm-hmm. He, he made people realize, oh, wow, yeah, I've, I've heard about Phoenix, Arizona. Well, they have a lot of cactus out there. Wow, cacti out there. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think, you know, we've grown up dramatically since then. And, and more to the point, I think this year's, this this iteration, this nucleus of Phoenix Suns, they've they've been in the, in the playoff hunt for two years running now. The results have been varied and traumatic and, and regrettable. 
but they've been close, particularly a couple of years ago. So the idea of having a championship caliber team in Phoenix, it, it's it it felt close before Kevin Durant arrived. Mm-hmm. Kevin Durant's just going to kick it up. To, to, it's going to turn it up to 11. It's like the line out of Spinal Tap. It's going up to 11 with Kevin Durant. Whereas Barkley was more like, okay, something really great is suddenly beginning for us. It was a beginning with Charles Barkley. Kevin Durant, they're hoping him to be a closer, to finish the job. Yes. That's the difference. And you have to consider, too, if, you, if you're on the side of the argument that says this is the most highly anticipated game, again, you've got to consider the franchise history. When Charles Barkley rolled into town, that was the 25th year of the Phoenix Suns as a franchise. This is the 55th year of the Phoenix Suns as a franchise. Uh-huh. That's 30 more years of different levels of frustration. Frustration at being close and falling short. Frustration of a decade of absolute futility and dysfunction. Uh, fu- uh, you know, Frustration over recently being close mm-hmm. to the top of the mountain. So, yeah, wonder, they're, they're all the, in the mix. What did the debut of Jason Kidd and Pen- Penny Hardaway look like? Backcourt 2000? Backcourt 2000. What did that debut look like? Now, that era never got off the ground because of injuries, quite obviously, to Penny. But it, it, I, I, I was around for that, and I yes. don't really have any real I was too. firm memory of what that was all about. I remember the buzz, but mm-hmm. it I don't think it even approaches what we're what we're stepping into tonight. The the debut of Stefan Marbury was considered something. The return of Steve Nash was considered something. The debut of that 0405 team with Steve Nash, I think, was because a lot of us had, had watched that team in the summer and we were given a heads up by Brian Colangelo, hey, we got something uh-huh. incredible happening uh-huh. here. The first game last year after the finals run, after the COVID restrictions How were about gone. the first game this year? That too. Luca in town. Uh, Luca in town after the Dallas thing? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think those are all high on the list. Not at the very top of the list, though. I mean, I, I started thinking about this, too. Like Chris Paul's first home game as a son. It was anticipated. But guess what? It was an empty building. That was yeah, the weirdness right. of COVID. That's right. And, and okay, playing in yeah. an empty mm-hmm. arena for a couple of months before mm-hmm. they let fans back oh, in. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. it was. It That's was right. It was strange. Yeah. So um, I don't know where I would rank it, I, but I do know that it's it's darn near the top. And I do, and I I agree with your premise that Barclays probably felt bigger, even though Phoenix as a major metro was significantly smaller. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And when you well, there, well, there might have been what two and a half million people here back in 1993. Am I even close? And they that? all showed up at the second place parade. Yeah, <laughs> right. They showed up at a losers pep rally. <laughs> That's what it was. It was, and it was 120 degrees that day. Um, yeah, it, it, but just to consider it that way, the three games that we singled out, the first game ever in franchise history, the game that they won in 1968, they only won like 16 games that year, and people, that was one of them. Listen, people tend to always look back on that loser's pep rally and think, oh, what an amateur hour that must have been in Phoenix, Arizona. There's nothing different than staging a loser's pep rally in 118 degree heat in the middle of summer than there is going shirtless outside Rich Stadium in Buffalo or whatever it's called now. Or you know what I mean? It's it's that's a sign of ultimate fandom when the conditions don't bother you at all. When the conditions are not stopping you, 
from celebrating your favorite sports team. That's true. That, I mean, that that loser's pep rally is one of the best moments ever for the history of this region as a sports town. Yeah, I agree. And, We're the best losers ever. <laughs> well, but again, it, it's that that championship, that team was so beloved in Phoenix that it, it really was something to behold. I, I've told the story repeatedly. I was an out-of-town media guy. I was astounded by what I saw in Phoenix back then. It was astounded. Still unlike anything I've ever Players seen in this town. partying with fans during the NBA Finals, out and about, hanging with people. And then the losers prayed afterwards. I'm like, what are these people drinking out here? <laughs> yeah, it, was, uh, it was different. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin Durant yesterday after practice talking about how he feels his first week in a Suns uniform went. I, solid. I, just, I feel like I got it. You know, I can get acclimated with the offense a little quicker for like a couple plays that I didn't know. Um, and I, like I said, with practice time, it's, it's the only help. So I'm getting there. I think um, my teammates have been great. Coach staff been great. He's been talking me through everything. It's a lot of different terminology, but almost the same type of sets we run amongst the whole league. So just trying to get the terminology down and start com- communicating with my teammates. And, um, we can go from there, but I think everything's smooth. Yeah, it's, it, that's another one of those just sit back and giggle moments when you hear that quote from Kevin Durant and you go back to what he did in his first three games and you're like, yeah, he doesn't really know what he's doing yet or he's not fully acclimated or comfortable. Just imagine how much better it's going to get. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so much fun. Yeah, I know this is uh, this is going to be good and it, it's this basketball team for, for people who looked at the games remaining and, oh, God, are they going to be able to find it? They don't, they don't look that far away from a team that's ready just to start this thing. Totally agree. Coming up next, uh, Sarah will take us through the big Woo-hoo! stories of the day with the Rush Hour Reboot. It's Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata mornings. Rush Hour Reboot. Rush Hour Reboot. Getting you up to speed on everything happening in sports this morning. Brought to you by Brooklyn Betting. Arizona built for America's dreams. Very, very, very happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome into Bickley Emirata Mornings and specifically the Rush Hour Reboot, where we get you caught up on the top stories of the day every single day at this time. I am Sarah Cazell with Dan Bickley. Hello. Hello, with Vince Emirata. Oh, that was a big song on my bar mitzvah. <laughs> the party. Is that yeah. the... Uh... Is that the video of you that went I, semi-viral? I'm not sure what it Is might you be. You dancing with Alex Rodriguez? Yeah. <laughs> the guy looked exactly like A Rod. We all got to make a living somehow. J Lo connection right there. <laughs> and uh, Jarrett Carlin is here as well. Toilets, eleven hundred six. Toilets, Steve I was, Ballmer. I was looking to that and off the grid today. Toilets, eleven hundred six. Toilets, Wow. Sounds like me on cold brew this morning. Okay. There's only one other person on the planet who's ever sounded that excited excited about toilets. And you're right next to him, Sarah. <laughs> yeah. That would be our Jared Crowley, yeah. yeah. Uh, before we get started, talking about Kevin Durant, a very happy International Women's Day to all of our female listeners. Yes. Guys, did you get me a present today? You're not an international woman, so... Ah, ah. 
You're a local woman. You're a local. Our presence is your presence. It's a present <laughs> and my gift wrap. Yes, I love it. All right. I was just kidding, guys. Come on. Uh, Kevin Durant makes his home debut tonight, Happy guys. Happy wi- International Women's Day, Oh, sir. thank you. It's... It was really every just day. For the joke. I treat every day. It was day. really just for the joke. Do you? I, I treat every day like a woman Women's Day. I respect them so damn much. Yeah. Okay, I look forward to seeing that. I thought All you were right. going to continue with the line from the forty-year-old virgin. I respect them so much. I totally stay away from them. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, let's talk about Kevin Durant, y'all. Three games with him on the road, but now finally we will see him on the court at Footprint Center with the Suns playing uh, his original franchise, the Oklahoma City Thunder, tonight. Bill Simmons was talking about the Suns on his latest podcast and just how scary the Suns are now with Kevin Durant next to Devin Booker. And he actually said that he thinks they're the only team that can beat the Denver Nuggets in the playoffs. Simmons also honed in on the amazing shooting ability you now have with Devin Booker and Kevin Durant on the same team. And he talked about the clutch shot that KD made against the Mavericks on Sunday, which sealed the win. I promise he did. Let's let's try playing that again. All right. I don't know why you can't hear it. Tech, technology. Let's just do one more. And when Durant there made that is. shot, that was that was when I went to another level with that trade. And granted, it's a Sunday. It's Dallas. I get it. But all right. Not only are they getting great shots, but then they also have the defense busters, and they have two of them. And in the playoffs, that's what you want because over and over again, the playoffs slow down. You have these possessions with six seconds left, five seconds left, four seconds left, with the crowd going nuts, and you just want those guys. And they have two. They have two of them. Mm -hmm. So over the years in Valley Sports, there have been a lot of iconic duos. You know, Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling, uh, Larry Fitzgerald and Kurt Warner, Diana Taurasi and Brittany Griner, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. Are they the greatest duo in Valley Sports history? Not yet. Not yet. Yeah, I think I think I know where he's going. Uh, Randy Johnson, yes. Kurt Schilling, World Series title. Yeah. I think you, you have to respect the title. You and, have to respect the championship. And they were co-MVPs of that World Series, and famously. Were, yeah, yeah. And they were both ridiculously yes. good in they that World Series. So. Yeah, and like Booker and KD, they made it look easy. They yeah. made they made getting yeah. and winning World, uh, World Series games look easy. So would one ring be enough for Booker and KD to surpass them? Or yes. what, would, what would need to <laughs> Yeah, because happen? pitchers go once every five days so the answer is yes if if they equal the title they are they they i think they have a larger stake Mm -hmm. in the argument that's totally fair very well said uh by the way i mentioned it in my update uh before the reboot but for those who did not hear matt ishbia the new sun's owner is going to be on with us at 8 45 this morning nice he will be joining bickley and marotta morning so make sure you are listening uh just stay with us through 8 45 and then also through 10 o'clock how does that sound All right, let's get to some college basketball. It's uh, a big night for ASU fans in addition to Suns fans. The Pac-12 men's tournament gets started today from T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. And an NCAA tournament bid is on the line for the Sun Devils. Potentially Bobby Hurley's job. We can get into that in a second. Uh, But starting at 9.30 Arizona time tonight, ASU and Oregon State tip off in the 6-11 game. ASU is the 6th seed. Oregon State is the 11th seed. Uh, We had 
Bobby Hurley on the show yesterday, as we always do on Tuesdays. And, Vic, you asked him if ASU was getting proper respect this season mm-hmm. <laughs> and how, how it sits with him, the way that ASU is, is being handled. Uh, and you could hear the frustration creeping through. We have to go above and beyond just to put ourselves in a conversation to, to be in. And, uh, you know, I stand by, you know, our top four wins. I mean, it's at Arizona, at Oregon, Michigan, VCU. You can throw at Colorado. And, I mean, we've had some really good wins this year. And, uh, and just one bad loss. You know, we had one bad loss in overtime early in the season, the third game of the season. So if you're going to be fatally judged by the third game of the season, we maybe shouldn't have played the rest of the year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that third game of the year that he was referring to was the overtime loss to Texas Southern mm-hmm. in November. Uh-huh. He didn't mention San Francisco, the 37 points uh, loss in that conversation, uh, which was also pretty rough. But, yeah, they but, were a decent team, at least. Texas Southern was Yeah, bad. but 37 points. Yeah, they got blown out. Yeah, um, But he did also, as you heard, talk about the good wins that ASU has had most recently over Arizona and Tucson. So do you guys believe that ASU was being unfairly treated or unfairly punished because the Sun Devils are not a traditional powerhouse? The longtime Sun Devil in me wants to agree with that, mm-hmm. but I can't get completely on board with it. Uh, and yeah, there have been good wins, but the thing that's been frustrating about this year's uh, this year's version of Bobby Hurley's team is their inability to enjoy success. When they do something good, they follow it up with bad basketball. It happened in the San Francisco game. It happened by you know, losing two straight in Los Angeles with bad performances in both of those games. And I know they fought back against USC, but they shot 29%. Yeah. This is a team that is um, not equipped to deal with success. And I think that's what's holding them back pretty much more than, than the, this perceived lack of respect. Yeah, I, I do think the perceived lack of respect, I think there's something to it. Otherwise, Bobby Hurley, I don't think, would have gone there twice with this radio show. Yeah, I, And again, I just see it I just see it anecdotally. It just seems like I've seen Arizona suffer losses this year and just kind of stay exactly where they are. Mm-hmm. And, and I've seen ASU, and maybe this is their fault for doing what Vinny said, for, for following up good games with bad games. Yeah. But I've seen them just, I've seen them crack the top 25, and as soon as they get a bad loss, they're just gone. They're out the door. Yeah. And it's there's just never any margin for error with them. And maybe they don't deserve it. It just seems to me that there's uh, a lot of skepticism surrounding that pro, and they've probably earned that skepticism. Yeah. So maybe it's not the entire picture, but it's a piece of the puzzle yeah. as far as yes. why they're being treated yes. this way. All right. So ASU has Oregon State tonight, again, at 930 on ESPN 620 mm-hmm. and the Arizona Sports app. Uh, ASU B Oregon State twice this regular season and so if ASU can do that a third time tonight, uh, the Sun Devils will play USC in the quarterfinals tomorrow. Do you guys think that a win over USC would be enough for a tournament bid? I don't. I think they need two wins um, and... Well, that would be their well, second so win. The US, second the USC tournament. would be their second, yeah. Oh, and I'm, then they I'm would sorry. Play. I, thought you, I, I thought you were just talking one win. No, okay, yes. No, no, no. Then Oregon yes. State tonight and then USC. Okay, I'm sorry. I misheard you. Yeah, if, if, if they get those two wins, yes, I think they're in. I want to say yes, but <laughs> you're never sure. Right. Because then it bleeds back into what Bobby Hurley says. And if, if they get those two wins and are still left on the outside looking in, what he said on our show yesterday holds water, I think. So uh, you, you never know. 2 and 12 team not getting into the tournament. Yeah. <laughs>
Right now, they're in the first four-out grouping from Jalen yeah, Hardy. I know. And just something to keep an eye on, if ASU were to beat USC, that next game would be against either Arizona or Stanford or Utah, whoever advances out of that little grouping. I think we know who's going to be there. What? I don't know. Stanford Actually, and Utah. <laughs> Arizona oh, lost Stanford. to both of those teams. That is true. That is true. And sometimes they just lose those games you're not supposed to. And Arizona's a very good Pac-12 tournament team. ASU has not traditionally been a very good Pac-12 ter- tournament team. That's so fair. The Wildcats that definitely is true. travel yeah. for that. That event. is true. And who knows what you're going to get at a 9.30 p.m. tip in Vegas. Oh, my gosh. Who knows? I certainly Absolutely. won't know. But quickly, <laughs> it's International Women's Day, like I mentioned at the top of the segment. Who is your favorite female athlete in all of sports? Uh, Diana Taurasi. Diana Taurasi is near the top of my list as well. We do love DT. Yeah. This is Serena a Williams per- show. pretty good too. That's yeah, Serena. I think she's I've got a future. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Rush Hour Reboot every morning at 7.30 when Sarah takes us through the big stories of the day. Coming up next, we'll get another perspective on the KD home debut. ESPN NBA insider Brian Windhorst joins us here on Bickley Murata Mornings, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Sons and Kevin Durant, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata talk KD's first home game with the Suns. Now. Yep, Suns and Thunder tonight from Footprint Center. First time we'll see Kevin Durant on that floor as a player. We've seen him in three road games. The results have been positive so far. Oh, Here yeah. to talk about it with us. ESPN NBA insider Brian Windhorst joins us on the Arizona Sports Line. Brian, good morning. Thanks for joining us today. Good morning. Yeah, uh, we, we've talked so much about the positive results and what we've seen, the the ease in which Kevin Durant has kind of blended in with the Suns. I mean, what have your takeaways been from the first three games of Durant in the Suns uniform? I mean, the thing about Durant that he is such a terrific, you know, fit-in type player. He can do so many things, and the style that he plays makes the transition of bringing him in smooth. And it's been smooth everywhere he's gone. And he's returned from injuries throughout his career, and he's hit the ground running like every time. Mm -hmm. This is exactly the Kevin Durant that he's always been. And, um, you know, I was in Dallas on Sunday and um, got to sit – you know, in the second row and really got to watch the two of them interact on the court during the game. And there's really, so I say the two of them, him and Booker, um, is a really a spirit between the two of them that is unmistakable. I mean, I saw it when I was uh, here for their first practices. I saw it last week in Charlotte. There's a, there's a very uh, strong connection between the two of them dedicated to making it work. And that's really important. The rest of what you want to talk about with the Suns are ancillary issues. What you really need is the two of them to be invested in each other's success, and that is plain as day. And they'll probably have a rough moment or two as they learn each other. Um, you know, there was a play at the end of the Dallas game where Durant was in position for post-up. Um, I don't remember who was on each player, but um, he, uh, Devin looked to him. Uh, and Kevin pointed go, and that was the play where Devin drove, missed the layup, and Aiton had the putback. Um, you know, and on that play, in all honesty, probably the ball should have gone to Durant. But the fact that he wanted Devin to take it and that they were communicating like that um, is is you know is very good. And you know, I believe that the Suns, as the time goes on, will learn to rely on Durant even more. Um, so I, I think. It's it's just a, it's such a better fit for Kevin's sensibility and Kevin's game. 
to be here with this team, with this makeup than it was in Brooklyn. And, you know, over the long haul, that'll have to get verified. But I, I it just it just feels like so much more natural. That is such a great point you're making about Devin Booker and, and, and their synergy, if you will. And, and I think you and I noticed the exact same thing after his debut on the road with the Suns. And I'm talking about KD now. And that was just, just the real happiness that seemed to be coming off of him after that game. Uh, it was it was striking to me what level and how important is that element in all of this moving forward yeah i mean he's having fun right now and i wasn't really around the nets this year i was around them a lot last year so i don't want to make assumptions about how things were going in brooklyn but from the outside it didn't look like it was always a whole lot of fun now when they won 18 out of 20 I don't care what personalities exist. When you win 18 out of 20 games, you're, you're going to feel pretty good about things. I don't want to compare that. But one of the, what, I've, what I've noticed is how much fun that, that Kevin is having. And he's talked about it. Um, you know, there was, a, there was a sequence, you know, early in that Dallas game, Dallas was really struggling to contain what the Suns were doing. The Suns were basically making two passes and getting a wide open shot every single time. Um, they were playing seven seconds or less without trying to play fast because they were ripping the Dallas defense at the seams. And there was one play in the first quarter where uh, Booker, Durant, and Chris all touched the ball. The ball barely hit the floor, and it resulted in sort of a duck-in-dunk or maybe it was a layup for Aiton. And the and Jason Kidd was like, oh, no, this is no good, and called timeout. <laughs> and when Kevin was coming back over to the bench, he was, you know, talking to his teammates. He's like, that's how we play basketball. That's basketball. And I know this is sort of a basic thing to say, but you could tell that he was kind of floating on air uh, playing that way. I actually think one of the transitions that – they're going to have to make, and they really don't have any worries offensively, but, you know, Devin is used to dribbling a little bit. Chris is used to dribbling a little bit. You know, they need to do less dribbling and more passing because they're, they are going to break every defense out there if they want, um, and they're just not used to it. They're, they're not used to it being that easy, and they're having options mm-hmm. that exist. So I actually think that's one of the things that you're going to see is, um, you know, Devin not having to work as hard and learning to not have to work as hard. Brian Windhorst from ESPN, our guest here on the Arizona Sports Line. What you just described, that Dallas scenario, Brian, I'm wondering if, if, if your viewpoint is that was a result of Dallas struggling to find its identity on defense after their trade. They, they traded some, some key defensive players, and that's not exactly their strong suit. And do you think that ultimately becomes maybe the formula to try to beat the Suns? Don't defend them, just try to outscore them. Well, the Suns are a pretty good defensive team. I think the formula that you're going to see is what happened in the second half of that game. Because what happened was Dallas decided that they were going to try to take away uh, Aiton in that game. So what they would do is whenever there was a pick and roll, which is you know primary factor of most offenses, um, they collapsed to the middle. To, to, to try to shut off the drive and try to shut off Aiden's pick and rolls. And so basically what they were doing, and they were also totally doubling off of Chris Paul. Like whoever, you know, whether it was Booker or Durant, if Chris was in the game, or poor Payne, by the way, but uh-huh. it was really evident when Chris was in the game, they just doubled off of him. They, they, brought a se- they brought a second man over to, to double, and typically that was on the, uh, they were on the weak side. So they just basically forced the ball to, to Payne, to CP3, and whoever the, the, the foreman was, whether it was Okoji, 
uh, Torrey Craig or Ish Wainwright. And you could see Okoji and, and Torrey Craig were getting wide open shots. They went one of 12 on threes. Now, Josh Okoji is not going to miss eight threes that badly. He's not going to miss that many corner wide open shots. But there are going to be games. Yeah. He's not Ray Allen. He's not Mikael Bridges. Mikael Bridges is one of the best corner three-point shooters in the league. So, you know, and and Dayton got his scoring cut off because they played that way. So that's the way the teams are going to play. They are going to force the ball to the backside, and they're going to invite the ball into that corner, who's ever there, and they're going to challenge Chris Paul. And look, Chris is having a bad shooting season. He's having his worst scoring season of his career, and he's having one of his worst shooting seasons. But what he's now going to be asked to do is going to be different than what he's going to yes. ask, that he's been asked to do. He's going to be asked to stand there, catch the ball, and shoot it. And in the fourth quarter of that game, he drilled two three-pointers, being standing alone. So, um, you know, it, it's not so much disrespect to Chris. I mean, it's just... Um, it's just strategy. You look yeah. at his numbers, you look at the options on the other side, and you make a decision. Now, that's not going to be the whole game because the way Monty is playing right now is he's, he is putting uh, Kevin Durant in with four bench players in, in the, both the first and second half, and he's putting Booker in with bench players, although he usually has Chris Paul attached to him a little bit more. But there has been times in these two games where Booker has been in with four bench players. That, that, those times will narrow because he's going to play a shorter bench. Mm. Um, this idea of him playing 10 or 12 guys, that's laughable. That's yeah. not going to happen in real playoff games. Well, in real playoff games, you play eight players. Yep. I'm not talking about game one. I'm talking about game four, five, six, seven. Eight guys are going to play. That's exactly uh, right. I, I'm not saying the ninth man doesn't put his foot on the floor, but eight guys are going to play, and really seven are going to play. Mm. So they got to figure out who that is between Craig, Okoji, and Ish. I mean, it's a big ask to ask Ish to do it, but he obviously has shown he can, he's got some options. So that's where the the stress is going to come. The stress is going to come in games where Chris Paul is not making his shots and Okoji and Craig are not making their shots. All right, last question for you. What what did you think of Devin Booker and Luka going nose-to-nose at the end of the game? (laughs) Some people were offended by Devin Booker, like, hey, the way he kicked you out of last year's playoffs, you shouldn't be saying a word to him. Other people thought, Hey, that's how that's how frisky book feels with having KD as his running mate. Now, your thoughts on that and how the calculus in the West has changed? Well, I loved it. Also, they were both kind of smiling yeah. during it, right? Because <laughs> yeah. they kind of knew that it was a, bit, a little bit ridiculous. Um, I mean, what happened there is, you know, Luca, who got you know like twenty free throws in the game, was complaining about getting a not getting a free throw on him missing a four footer. Okoji flopped, and he had no business flopping there. Okay. But he absolutely flopped, and Devin was saying that the, that uh, that Luca was pushing off all game, and then Luca chirped at Devin, and it was good. I liked it. I liked that Devin didn't back down. I I love it. I I'd love for these two teams to play in the postseason. I don't know if Dallas is going to be good enough to get there. Um, I mean, they're going to make the postseason, but you know, right. to get to the Suns, they're going to have to you know move up out of the play-in, which right now they're in the play-in, yeah. or they're they're right on the edge of that. So, although I will say the Suns. With the Grizzlies in full reverse mode, the Suns are now, I think, two and a half games out of um, out of second place. <laughs> um, so uh, now Sacramento's there too, um, but the Suns' schedule—that's it. They have no more big road trips. That they're, 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 the hard part of the road schedule is over. I don't think they've got any. I don't think they barely leave the the Mountain and Pacific time zones the rest of the way. So they got a great team. 
They're, they got soft, you know, at least one mark ahead of them. I'm not ruling out that they could get to second, uh, second or third. Yeah. Brian, great stuff as always. Thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Have a good day. Thanks, you too. Brian Windhorst, ESPN NBA Insider, joined us on the Arizona Sports Line. Bick's got the blast Fire. next on this big day. It's Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.